This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. It's Friday, and we are back as usual, although not in usual circumstances, of course, uh, remaining on lockdown like the rest of the country. We're still bringing you the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Adam Jones and Dave Prentice back on the panel today. And welcome back, Dave, to you. Um, we will be finishing off your questions that came in, and thank you very much for those. We didn't get a chance to finish them all on Tuesday, so we will be going through the remaining questions, um, and there's some good ones. And then uh, in what time left, we'll, we'll talk about various things. And as as he's on the panel today, back in the, on, on podcast duties, I'll speak to Pren out about his, uh, his excellent Gary Lineker piece that went up yesterday, which I'm sure you have read. Um, so we will talk about that amongst other things, uh, but we'll get straight into it. Um, and as you're back on, Preno, straight straight in for a question for you. Uh, from Casey, would you sign Dibriel Sidibe in the summer? No. Um, <laughs> straightforward response. We might need a little bit more than that, Preno. <laughs> up, until, up until about three or four weeks ago, I, I was probably torn... Um, torn between the quality he brings going forward, which is considerable. You know, his, uh, his delivery into the box is good. Um, he gets into good attacking positions. But I've just seen so many defensive mishaps from him over the last uh, last month or so that have cost us goals. And that just makes me think that, you know, we can do better elsewhere. I'm still not entirely sure about uh, Seamus Coleman long term. You know, so much as I love Seamus, I think we have probably seen the best of him now. Um, but, you know, don't dismiss him. You know, he's still capable of doing a job, you know, so for a season or two, yes. John Joe Kenny, I have to say, I don't know enough about uh, his time in Germany, you know, so how well he's done. Before he went, we saw a man similar to Sadibi, who, who for me was, you know, decent going forward, but again, not quite as a solid defensive as you would have liked. Uh, but, but to answer the question, Sadibi, no, I, I want to see more. I want, I want to see a defender first and foremost, somebody that will prevent goals going in that can also provide quality going forward. And I just think we can do better than Sadibi, uh, you know, in the transfer market. You know, going ahead might sound harsh, but you know, if we're looking at being a team that's going to finish uh, in the European qualifying positions as a minimum, uh, Champions League qualification as the ultimate ambition, I think we've got to do better than that. Uh, does, has your opinion shifted at all on the uh, on the Sadibi conundrum? Uh, I think my opinion has shifted throughout the year on the Sadibi conundrum. I think I've got I've got to agree with Preno. Really, you know, there is there was a real period of this season, maybe a month, two months or so, where you were thinking to yourself, it's going to be a right steal for Everton to get to DB for, what was it, about 12 million, something like that, mm. the price would be in the summer. You know, there, there was a time when we were thinking to ourselves, yeah, that that just sounds like an absolute shoo-in. I mean, his ability going forward is so good. It's a breath of fresh air. It's something that, you know, for, for how well Seamus Coleman has been playing in other areas. We've not really seen that sort of attacking influence from him probably since since his injury. Before his injury was probably the last time we saw that. And, you know, there was a period of this season where Sadibi was actually bringing that back to the team. And you think to yourself, you know, if you can iron out a few of those defensive errors, then, you know, we could have a real player on our hands. But as the campaigns went on, those defensive errors have just been getting more and more frequent. I think the Chelsea game was probably the low point for me I think yeah. both the Chelsea and the Arsenal games we saw a team well we saw an opponent that was quite clearly focusing down Everton's flank that down Sadibi's flank and they were having a lot of joy 
down that flank. And, you know, and I know he wasn't helped by his right midfielder in any situation or his centre-backs. You know, it, it wasn't all Sadibi's fault. But once you see an opponent's target, a player in that position, then you, know, you do just kind of question whether whether Everton should be trying to bring him in on loan. And I think Perno makes a good point as well. The, the right backs, the other right backs that Everton have, haven't really st- staked their claim for the position either. You know, Seamus Coleman has been a fantastic servant for the club, but it's obvious that he's not at the peak that he was a few years ago. John Joe Kenny is a young player who's learning his trade. He's been taught a few harsh lessons in Germany. I remember seeing a game quite early in his spell against Bayern Munich and uh, Schalke got Schalke got a good beaten by Bayern Munich, you know, as many teams do in that league, to be fair. But uh, yeah, he, he's been taught a few harsh lessons, but by all accounts, he's become quickly become a fan favourite at Schalke. So, you know, perhaps the, there's improvements enough for him to be considered for that position. But, you know, as things stand, I, I just don't think there's an obvious long-term solution for Everton in that area. And I certainly don't think Sadibi is that long-term solution. I was going to say, Fren, I was going to ask before I didn't brought him up, um, has John Joe not earned sort of the right to be given a crack at this? It's difficult to say earned the right. Uh, I mean, obviously, Marcel Brands and Co will have seen his performances regularly in Bundesliga and will know uh, how well or otherwise he's done. Um, but it's such a, a ruthless environment, Premier League football now. You have to be absolutely you know, so top of your game all the time to earn that right to play regularly, week in, week out. Uh, I don't think he did before he left the club uh, to go on loan. And obviously, that's why he decided to go on loan, uh, to try and show that, you know, he can thrive in a, a different environment. And I have to be honest and say, I don't know if he's done that, you know, sufficiently. Obviously, Adam's seen more of him playing over there than I have. Um, but I'm still not sure. Um, I think the only way you can earn that right is to come back into the Premier League and put together a consistent run of, you know, so four or five, six performances, which is what Seamus Coleman did at the beginning of his career. I mean, he had that, absolutely appalling um, experience very early on. When I was in the stage in my lighthouse in Lisbon when um, he made his debut at left-back and uh, against Angel Di Maria. Um, Everton lost 5-0 and it was a very, very chastening experience. But he came back and absolutely bounced back spectacularly from that and put together a real, you know, consistent one of performances. Um, obviously, you know, so John Joe Kenny not had quite that kind of um, experience but, you know, there have been one or two moments, you know, so when he's looked a little bit defensively frail. So the only way he can earn that right, I think, is to come back to Everton and do it, basically. You know, to be given the opportunity and we do it three or four times in a row. But no, I don't think he's actually, no one's got that God-given right. I think you've got to, uh, you know, sort of do it in the Everton first team rather than, you know, sort of earning it elsewhere. I'd just, just staying with, with Kenny and on that theme, though, you know, Everton are trying to sort of, not revamp necessarily, but um, in terms of rejig the, the approach to the transfer uh, market, you know, Marcel has set out an age bracket of players uh, which the club will invest heavily in. There's obviously going to be an emphasis on reviving and, and, and getting that production line from the academy going again and producing homegrown players as, as part of the overall strategy. So in that respect, does Kenny need to be given a crack of the whip next season, brought back and gone, right, you've been out on loan, it's a full season of first team football, a very good standard. We're going to give you this opportunity now. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say, I'd say if you're going by that argument, yeah, he probably does deserve his chance. And I think it's just about weighing up what Everton's priorities are going to be in the transfer window because you know right back is a position that we all know certainly needs addressing. 
But if we've got a player with the quality of Kenny to be able to step up, can we then divert funds into other areas that we might need improving? You know, central midfield, right midfield, even up front, we might need improving as well. You know, John Joe Kenny is still a very good player. You know, he's had good spells at Everton, never mind when he's moved on loan to Schalke. And uh, yeah, I think if, if we're going to be bringing through any young player, I think Kenny's probably the player at the minute who's on loan at the highest profile sort of club. You know, he's been getting very regular game time. David Wagner's a huge fan of him uh, during his time at Schalke. So, you know, he must be doing he must be doing a lot of things right. And I think he's, he's absolutely earned the right to at least be assessed by the likes of, you know, Carlo Ancelotti's surely going to want to have a look at him if he's going to be on Everton's books. He won't have had a proper look at him, really. So you'd like to think Ancelotti would like to have a look at him, but it also depends on what the player wants to do as well. You know, he's been very coy about his own future. Perhaps if he doesn't see that he's going to be the long-term option at Everton, he now has a, a role at Schalke where it looks like he would be the long-term option. So would he maybe want to trade up Everton for Schalke on a permanent basis? You don't know. I think there's there's a decision to be made in terms of both player and club this summer, really. That's quite a good point, actually. Adam mentions there about Carlo's not actually seen him in the flesh. Yes, you know, I was going to ask you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's only had, you know seen reports secondhand. You'll have seen videos. You'll have seen you know sort of evidence in that respect. But players can take you by surprise. I always remember uh, was it Roberto Martinez talking about uh, Leon Osman, and he knew about Leon Osman, you know, sort of from having played against him, from having seen him secondhand but was very pleasantly surprised at what he learned about the player, having seen him firsthand on the training pitch. And in games, you get a different perspective. And so maybe Carlo will, will want to actually monitor his you know, progress firsthand, see him on the uh, Finch Farm training pitches uh, before he actually makes that decision. So, yeah, you know, so maybe he does deserve, you know, so maybe not a God-given right to go straight into the first team, but certainly the right to come into Finch Farm and show Carlo what he's capable of. Is that is that also a time issue, though, Preno? Because if, if Carlo took a look at him in pre-season and you know maybe decided he wasn't quite what he wanted it, it then reduces the the time frame yeah, on the yeah. club to go and find the player they want rather than you know have it all teed up and a decision made prior to whenever whenever the transfer window opens <laughs> yeah i was going to say it's, it's, that's a fair comment that but you know again we're dealing in a grey area now because we have mm. no idea whether this current season will end and if so when it's going to end when pre-season is going to start um, but what Adam mentioned earlier is a very good point. It's a sense of priorities. It's uh, which areas of the squad are most in need of attention. And right back probably isn't a pressing priority. It would be a, a nice to have, you know, sort of top class fullback if one became available. But failing that, yeah, there are other areas of the squad that probably do need more urgent attention than that. So that could be the opportunity for John Joe to stake a claim. You know, so while those other areas are being uh, being addressed. Okay, good stuff, chaps. Uh, moving on to the next question we've got left over uh, from Matty Lawson. In a 4-4-2, you need two central midfielders who can do it all, brackets, Reed and Bracewell. Do you think Gomez fits into Ancelotti's 4-4-2 system going forward? Adam? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I think he does. I think, you know, he's got, he's got the physical attributes that he can certainly do it all. And I think... You know, you only need to look at that second half against Arsenal now. I know we're looking at a game in isolation there um, from a player who's only just come back from injury, but he was so, so good in that when he came on against Arsenal. You know, he, he was, you know, probably Everton's best player on the pitch when he came on. You know, the the kind of 
influence that he can have in possession in that central midfield role. You know, he, he drops back, he collects the ball from the defence, he carries the ball 30 yards and he can spray long, long range passes, short passes. You know, he's just got, he's got an eye that no other midfielder that Everton have, has, you know, has. So I think maybe the defensive side of his game might need a little bit more improvement if he's going to be playing in a two. But, you know, that'll come. You know, he's got to, he's got to learn Ancelotti's system like every other player in the squad is going to have to learn that system as well. I don't think it, it's going to be any different for the central midfielders as it would be for maybe the right midfielders who are going to have to do a bit more defensively or the strikers who are going to have to maybe run the channels that little bit more. You know, everybody's going to have to try and modify their game in some way to try and fit into Ancelotti's system. And I think Gomez has shown us so far that he's got a, a whole bag of qualities that he will be able to do that. So, yeah, I, I would say he does fit into Ancelotti's system. Preno, do, do you agree? Do you think, think Gomez can be a four-four-two midfielder, you know, in the, uh, you know, living up to standards set by uh, the aforementioned uh, Mr. Reid and Mr. Bracewell? Well, he's setting the bar very, very high there. But equally, what, what Matty also said is this uh, central midfielder that can do everything a la Reid and Bracewell. Reid and Bracewell couldn't do everything. They were great, great midfielders, uh, but they weren't great going forward. You know, Reid scored the occasional goal. Uh, Bracewell, I think, got about two or three in his Everton career. When you've got a four-four-two system, you need balance. That's the most important thing. And that four that Everton played in the teams that Reid and Bracewell played in had wonderful balance. You know, they were able to get forward, get back uh, and assist the wide players that provided the goal-scoring output. Um, so as long as you get that balance right, um, I don't think it matters quite so much that you know the midfielder can't do everything. For what it's worth, I think Andre Gomez has got most of the qualities that a good central midfielder does need. He can score goals. We've not seen it often enough, I know. But, you know, the goal he's scored against Wolves, the efforts he's had, you know, at goal. Uh, we know that he's capable of getting forward and being more of an influence further up the pitch. But that's not his primary, you know, sort of top quality. You know, his best quality is his passing, his ability to hold the ball, his ability to knit things together. And as long as you've got other players around him that can, you know, sort of bring the other elements of that game, for argument's sake, a tackler alongside him, uh, a bit of pace either side or a bit of, you know, sort of goal-scoring output, uh, I think you can get over, you know, so those things that aren't his, you know, so absolute top part of his game. Uh, so, yeah, 100%, provided you have the other players around him, you know, so as long as the balance is right. But I'm, I'm a big, big Andre Gomez fan, you know, so I think, yes, he can 100% be part of a 4-4-2. So, Prem, does it make sense to you then to hear Carlo fairly recently talking about trying to sign a midfielder with, quote, energy in the summer? Well, yeah, again, because that sort of hints that, you know, the, the partner that can do the things that maybe Gomez doesn't do. I think it also hints to the fact that we've never really replaced Garner Gay. No. So what, what a huge you know sort of influence he was on the team. And when he left, everybody was very, very clever at the time, saying, yeah, but he gives the ball away too much. You know, so he doesn't, he doesn't do this, doesn't do that. And it just tended to overlook the qualities he brought uh, to the squad and why a club like PSG wanted to sign him in the first place. Uh, so and you know obviously energy was his primary quality. You know, see, he covered so many kilometers every single match. It was untrue. He prevented things from happening. You know, so before they even you know sort of begun uh, to to mount you know sort of attacks elsewhere. So yeah, I understand why he would want a, a midfielder with energy, but that doesn't mean that you know so Andre Gomez can't be part of that midfield. Of course he can. Uh, to me, the, the the two you know sort of qualities would complement each other. Okay, good stuff. Um, next question comes in from Jake Marley. Uh, in your opinion, who is the most underrated player in the current squad? 
And he comes with a supplementary question. And does Tom Davis need a loan like Mason Holgate and John Joe Kenny to further his development? I'll let, I'll let Adam jump on that while I think while I gather my thoughts. <laughs> God, can I answer the second bit first? <laughs> yeah, yes. I'll, I'll, I'll keep thinking. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I do think Tom Davis probably does need a loan. Uh, I think, and I think Jake hits on the point that I've been trying to make for a good while when I've been talking about Davis to uh, other people. That yeah, I think he should be using Holgate as the example for that. You know, he the Holgate went out on loan trying to find himself almost really and you know he he did he did spend most of his time on loan at right back which is you know it probably isn't what he expected or wanted from that loan at West Brom but he only took that as an opportunity to go and learn more and you know he took he took that on the chin and he's come back to Everton with a whole new attitude and I think we've seen the the, the benefits of that attitude this season you know he's become probably Everton's most improved player this season and you know, in terms of Davis, I think a, a spell to go and try and find himself is probably what he needs because do, do we know Tom Davis's best position yet? I don't know whether he's a defensive midfielder, an attacking midfielder, a playmaker. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> and I, I'm, I, think, I think that's probably the worst thing for a young player to have, especially in that position as well. And especially when... Carlo Ancelotti's bringing in this 4-4-2 system. We need both, as Preno said, we need balance in that midfield and we need both those midfielders to be performing at their highest level. If Davis doesn't know what his best position is, then how can he be performing at the highest level? I think I think a low move could be absolutely perfect for him. Just get out, get minutes, whatever that might be, whether it be, you know, moving down to the championship, whether it might be another Premier League club, might be abroad like Kenny has done. You know, I think a loan could be hugely beneficial and I don't think it's it's ever too late for a player to have a loan like this, you know. So, yeah, I think they, Davis could be in prime position, especially, you know, with, as we've said, Ancelotti on the hunt for, you know, a midfielder with more energy. You know, competition for places is only going to get tougher and tougher in that midfield for Davis uh, next season. So, if he went out, found, found a loan spell, found some real minutes, then he could come back to Everton and a much better player. And I think that's what we all want at the end of the day. Is there a danger, though, that as much as you right, rightly point to the uh, Mason Holgate um, loan and, and and the question from Jake has come in, um, you know, referencing John Joe Kenny as well, would Tom be forgiven, though, if he equally looked at loans and went, well, my good mate Kieran Dowell's now on his third or fourth loan, um, I'd been through the, the academy system with Callum Conley, who's at six or seven, Matty Pennington, similar numbers. It doesn't always go as well as, as Holgate and, and Kenny. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's really tough as well because it's hard to put your finger on. You know, it's a lot of these loans, it's really it's really tough to see what went, went wrong with them, uh, mm. essentially. You know, especially you look at Pennington's one last season, you know, he went to Ipswich and he was playing really well at the start. I think he won their player in the month, first two months, and then that was cut short by injury. So you're thinking to yourself, oh, he'll go back on, out on loan this season and he'll rip it up again in the championship. And it just just hasn't worked out like that for him at all. So, yeah, I think that's just the risk that you've got to take when the, when the, uh, when you're moving in the loan window. I think you can, you can do as much work as possible to make sure, you know, you've researched the club properly and, you know, you've researched the options that are available to that club and, you know, you, 
you can only be so confident that you're going to get the amount of minutes that might be being promised to you by a manager. But if it, it, it's all about having trust and perhaps just making a leap of faith because I think what Davis has got to weigh this up against is, yeah, you, you know, you might have a bad experience on loan next season, but is that bad experience on loan going to be better or equivalent to or it will be at Everton? You know, you, you're still going to get more minutes on loan than you would at Everton next season, especially with the increased, increased amount of competition. I think, and, and it's tougher for Davis as well because he's a local lad, he's an Evertonian, you know, he's, he wants to make it at Everton clearly. And, you know, Evertonians all want him to make it as well. So it might be that just that little bit tougher to take that leap of faith and to leave the club, even for just a brief spell, to try and come back a better player. I get that. But, you know, so, sometimes I think it, it is just a move that is is necessary to be made. So I, I, I would still say I, I, I would be thinking a low move in the summer for Davis. Yeah, Brennan, Brennan, do you agree? Do you, what do you think? I mean, equally on the flip side, you know, he, he could... Um, and look look what's happened with the injuries. We've been decimated by midfield injuries, opportunities, suspensions, la- you know, loss of form from players, new players not bedding in. There's no immediate guarantee that Kabamin will hit the ground running. Whoever the new the new man that comes in, there's no immediate guarantee that that will work. Tom Tom could well sat here thinking, well, I've got as good a chance as anybody um, come where whenever the start of next season is. It's a gamble, isn't it? It's a, it's a gamble you take. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure about a loan move. I think a lot depends on the, the identity of the club that he went to. If, you know, in an ideal world, you could guarantee a move to a Premier League club, uh, great. You know, so, yeah, you know, he's, he's going to be getting more exposure. He's going to be getting the quality of opposition that he will need uh, to develop as a footballer. I don't think a loan move to the Championship is, is going to do him or Everson any good, you know, in fact, I can't really think of many championship loan moves that we've had where we've actually benefited from the experience. I mean, Ross Barkley went, didn't he, to Sheffield Wednesday and Leeds, was it? Never got out, wasn't selected. Kieran Dowell tore up trees at Nottingham Forest and, yeah, you know, so wasn't given a look in when he came back. I think probably Leon Osmond's the last midfielder I can think of has actually gone away and actually had his reputation enhanced by a loan move, you know, so outside of the Premier League. So I don't know. But then again, the counter to that is if you stick around at Everton in the hope that somebody is going to pick up an injury or lose form and you're going to get uh, a little bit of a run, you, you could be just sat there waiting and waiting for an opportunity that doesn't come. So it is, it's a, it's a real tough one to balance out. Um, I think he does need more football. He does need you know, sort of more exposure. And uh, if he can somehow get that in the Premier League, great. But, you know, low moves in the Premier League are so difficult to come by these days. Okay, back to you, mate. This, the other part of that question: Who's the most underrated player in the uh, squad? <sighs> that's a, that's a really, really tough question because at the start of the season, I would have said Dominic Calvert Lewin, but I think everyone has has kind of realised what what uh, what quality he brings now. Um, how could you maybe say Leighton Baines? You know, I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm, I'm not sure he's under he's under appreciated in any way by Evertonians, yeah. but I think perhaps for other football fans across the league, I think he has slipped into that sort of bracket. Whereas Everton fans know and have seen in recent weeks, you know how well he can still still cut it, at, you know, top level in this league. You know that goal against Leicester in the League Cup was absolutely spellbinding, really, and that's just the kind of quality that all Evertonians know he has, and I'm not sure anybody else in the country knows that he still has that quality about him. And, you know, I, I'd love to see Leighton Bain sign another 
another year extension to his contract in the summer. So yeah, I'd probably go. I'd probably go Baines. Yeah, no, I mean it's it, it, it's a difficult question, you know. So as uh, as Adam quite rightly says, they're probably using the same criteria. Um, players are underestimated, possibly nationwide, as opposed to here on Merseyside. I would go for. It sounds like a bit of a mad one, but Richarlison. I, I mean, agree. We, we we know how good he is, you know. So we know how important he is, and yet the vast majority of the national media focus over the last you know, so three, four months, has been quite rightly around Dominic Calvert-Lewin and his progress and whether he can force his way into the England squad. To a lesser degree, Mason Holgate has improved form, you know, so whether he's on the you know, fringes of an England, you know, so recall. Whereas Richarlison is actually in the Brazil starting lineup, you know, so he's actually played for his country. He's scored goals consistently all season and very, very good, big goals. Uh, and yet, Barely gets a look in. Uh, the only time he gets mentioned is, you know, so when his transfer fee is mentioned every now and then, and you get, you know, the old disparaging comments again. So, and I'm quite pleased that to continue. You know, I'm quite pleased for him to fly under the radar nationally and internationally because Everton have got a very, very good player that we don't really want attracting too much uh, unwanted attention elsewhere. Uh, we know how good he is. Uh, the rest of the country doesn't. So, good. Let's keep it that way. Okay, good stuff. Uh, talking about a player there who, of course, was heavily linked with the move to Barcelona. And Preno neatly bring us on to a man who went to Barcelona, uh, Gary oh, Nice link. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've had all day to think about it. Um, <laughs> just, just give us a rundown of the, of the piece that you, you put out last night. And it was kind of the spark of it. You know, something's been talked about constantly, isn't it? As, as, yeah. you, as you said yesterday. But, but, um, Gary, had he tweeted something? Forgive me if that's the wrong uh, wrong. Yeah, I mean, he actually tweeted that he'd finally got round to watching Rob Sloman's you know, wonderful documentary, Howard's Way, and uh, he said how much he enjoyed it, uh, how much he thought Howard Candle was a superb manager, and how much he enjoyed playing with you know so many of the players who featured in that documentary. So that was it. Um, and I, I put a tweet out saying... Um, I still find it a little bit mystifying that he gets a lot of flack from Evertonians for, in inverted commas, never mentioning Everton. I mean, he was at Everton Football Club for one year uh, and he's always said that it was the best club side he ever played for, even better than the Barcelona side he went to, better than the Spurs team he came back to. He's always said that and he said it quite publicly many, many times. And yet he still gets tarred with this, you know, sort of disliking Everton, anti-Everton brush. So, you know, so I tweeted that out there saying I still find that mystifying. Uh, he never actually agitated for a move. Uh, he was basically sold to Barcelona. You know, so Everton wanted to move him on. Uh, so you know, so why did he get flack? And Gary actually replied. He says, "True, just a one-word reply." So I thought, well, there's obviously a bit of interest, and obviously loads and loads of replies underneath that. Uh, got like over a hundred retweets. So I thought, right, okay, it's obviously a bit of interest here. So I'll just do a piece reflecting back on that era. Uh, quoted what Howard said at the time, which is that he thought the team's balance was adversely affected uh, by Gary being in the team. Um, he said that the wide players weren't scoring as many goals as they had done previously. They were being a little bit more reliant on Gary's pace over the top, uh, which you know Kevin Sheedy's you know, passing ability was taking great advantage of. So he didn't actively seek to move him on, but when Barcelona made an offer for him, which was very, very you know, so substantial, Emerson bought him for 800 grand and sold him for you know, two and a half million plus. He thought it was a deal too good to turn down. And he also thought that uh, Gary you know, deserved to be told about this. You know, when a club like Barcelona comes calling, you can't stand in a player's way like that. So that was you know, so where it all came from. He then obviously went to the World Cup, top scored at the World Cup. And once that happened, Barcelona were never going to you know, so say no to him. So I just looked at all that. I carried Howard's quotes from the time. I carried what Peter Reid said. 
in his autobiography where he said that you know it would be ridiculous to say that Everton would be better off without a world-class goal scorer like that he understands why Everton moved him on he says but you know so no football club that can guarantee 30 league goals from a striker is going to be better off for not having that player so all that was part of the mix and the thing that really really you know so confused me at the time is why Everton never actually put a clause you know so in the contract when he went to Barcelona to buy him back as Liverpool did in Rush when he went to Juventus at the same time because when he came back to, uh, to Everton also when he came back to England sorry in 1989 he signed for Tottenham for 1.1 million Everton also signed a striker that summer Mike Newell for 1.1 million nothing against Mike Newell but I think it's fair to say that you know so Tottenham definitely got the best end of the deal there so there's lots and lots of like little you know sort of side issues in this it was like a really interesting period and even though Everton won the league the following season and thereby justifying Howard's decision to sell him I think long term the club wasn't better off. It was immediately, but you know, so to lose a world class striker like Gary Lineker, I think if Everton had kept him, he could quite well have won the league the following season and gone on to win other things as well because he was such a good player. And it, it was quite interesting. I don't think I'm you know still telling too many tales here, but I got a, a direct message from Gary, you know, so shortly after that piece went up last night and just teasing me really, saying, I'll tell you the real story of why I think he sold me one day. <laughs> and it didn't tell me. <laughs> so, you know, so I'll keep pushing him and keep pushing him. But, you know, we don't know. I mean, so Howard had his reasons for moving him on. And you can say those reasons were justified because obviously Everton won the league the following season. Personally, I think Everton weren't as well off, you know, so without him. The balance of the team might have been better in the short term. But, you know, he was a great, great player. And, you know, so it could have gone on to, have, you know, sort of won all manner of things with Everton Football Club. So really interesting times. And even though it was such a long time ago, 34 years ago, obviously there's a lot of interest in it still. You know, so people are still interested. In, um, and, you know, so what happens, you know, so Everton Football Club back then. Some actually argued that that was the start of Everton's, you know, so slide from the, the best team in England, stroke Europe, as they were at the time, to, you know, so the, the darker days that they had in the, uh, the mid-90s, you know, so not long afterwards. Some suggested they were complacent, you know, so allowing a player of his quality to leave the football club. Lots and lots of side issues, but, you know, very, very interesting times. Indeed, if you haven't had a chance to read that, that's on our website. So I would uh, strongly recommend get uh, get your eyes on that one and, and have a read. So uh, thank you very much, chaps, for your company. Uh, we'll finish there. We've, uh, we've ticked off all the questions that remain. But uh, if you're listening and you think you've got more questions that you want to put to us, please get in touch with your channels on social media, on email or uh, Facebook, you know, Twitter. We're, we're all on there. So please, if you are... Got something you want to get off your chest and ask a question, put to the panel, please get in touch and we will get it answered. Uh, Ad Preno, thank you very much for your time and uh, thank you all very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.